The 2022 Ennies were announced this past Friday. Wizards of the Coast has a special announcement coming up. The final Spelljammer Academy adventure has been released. The Stormwreck character sheets are now online. We're going to do a Kickstarter spotlight for the face folio. We're going to talk a lot about D&D and combat building and the new article from Dragna Carta that discusses this. And we have our first batch of Patreon questions for August 2022 right here on the Lazy D&D Talk Show. I'm your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here to talk about all things D&D. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons of Sly Flourish get access to all kinds of exclusive material, the City of Arches sourcebook, exclusive adventures, access to a dedicated Discord channel, access to all kinds of interesting things. But most of all, they help me put on shows like this. So to the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you so much for your support. I am incredibly humbled to have received two any awards for my work. I got the gold any for best electronic book for the Lazy DMs Companion and the silver any for best online content for Sly Flourish. And I am just incredibly humbled by this. This is kind of my thank you speech. Please accept this as my thank you speech. It's really, really humbling to have won for best online content and for best electronic book and for everybody that's supported the work that I do everywhere but particularly for the people that supported the Kickstarter for the Lazy DMs Companion for people that picked up the book for the people that voted on the Annie's for the book you know thank you so much it really it was really really cool and I'm I'm very excited this means that the Lazy Dungeon Master also received a gold Annie and the Lazy DMs Companion both received a gold Annie it means so much to me to know that I have made a book that people like that much that that the judges thought was worthy of being nominated and that people thought was worthy of going and voting on really means a lot to me. So I just wanted to thank everybody for that. It was a really good night. There's a lot of excellent products that won Ennies as well. Thirsty Sword Lesbians won a gold product of the year. Fred Hicks over at Evil Hat won best game as well. So lots of lots of stuff. Uncaged Goddesses won best adventure, which is fantastic. Darring- Darrington Press won best favorite favorite publisher. The Dune Adventures in the Imperium run best writing. I need to pick that up. Lots of good stuff. I'm not going to go through every one of them here, but lots of good stuff. One of them that I wanted to highlight was Best Organized Play, I Find That Familiar, an adventure by Paul Gabbett. I had the distinct honor of playing in a game run by Paul Gabbett yesterday, so we both got to congratulate each other on our Ennies. I'm pretty sure I did a spotlight of I Find That Familiar. I definitely have talked about these adventures that are all kinds of set in the Witchlight in the Witchlight world, but really outstanding stuff. There is a link to all of the award-winning products, all of the awards that were that were put out in the Ennies in the show notes below so you can you can check that all out but yeah it was a it was a really great night it was it was fantastic and I'm, I couldn't be more proud and more humbled by by the Lazy DMs Companion getting a gold Ennie for best electronic book and for the work I do on Sly Flourish I've been running Sly Flourish for 12 years it's been great and to win an award to win an Ennie for the blog has also been been outstanding Wizards of the Coast has some kind of special announcement for D&D on 18 August Ray Weninger who runs the design team said fans will be surprised by how much will reveal at Wizards Presents, which is happening on 18 August. So we're going to see what that is. There's, you know, you can speculate. You can guess what it's going to be. Lots of things. I love that Think DM said Spelljammer confirmed. I think I, I think that that's going to stick around. You, you would hope you would have thought that that would have killed that meme. Apparently it did not. What's interesting about it is also mentioned, and, and this is interesting, that the, the last issue of Dragon Plus Magazine, Dragon Plus Magazine was an online magazine. There was an app for your phone. It was also available on a website and they are have are taking that down. And I imagine the reason that they're taking it down is because they have D&D Beyond now and they really don't need to have both Dragon Plus 
magazine on one platform and then all of their articles coming out on D&D Beyond. And if you think about what D&D Beyond has been doing recently, it's a lot of like what Dungeon and Dragon Magazine did. We're getting free adventures. We're going to talk about the Spelljammer adventures. You get free monsters. Dragon Plus, I liked it. I wrote for it. I had a couple of articles that I wrote for Dragon Plus Magazine. The problem with the, it was always a heavy it wasn't like a blog. It was this weird, heavy interface and it had like weird interface things. I never really dug it. It wasn't just a website. It was something strange and I never really dug that. I always thought it was because they were trying to do marketing things in the background. They were doing cookies and stuff. It was also mentioned in the last issue of Dragon Magazine where he says, as always, you can stay informed in the latest D&D news through Wizards and learn more of the brand's future plans in, in this year's Wizards Prevents taking place August 18th. So they mentioned in a couple of places, at a couple of different places. What does it mean? I don't know. Is it going to be big? I don't know. I mean, these are marketing events, essentially. And one of the things about marketing events is what's important to them doesn't always mean it's important to me. And that's cool. That's just, that's just how things work. Sometimes it's cool for them. Sometimes it's cool for me. Sometimes it actually is a big deal. So, so we'll see. We had a lot last time. We had like Spelljammer and Dragonlance and a bunch of other things that were announced last time. So, so we'll see. We'll see where that goes. It could be very interesting. I have no, I have no speculations. I don't have any idea. I would think maybe we'll learn more about Dragonlance, but that's a pretty safe bet. And, may, and it could still totally be wrong. The final Spelljammer Academy adventure was released. I got to play two of these yesterday. Paul Gabbett, any award-winning author, Paul Gabbett. He ran me, ran my, my, myself, I, I did this through Gen Con Online, and my wife and I both played through Orientation and Trial by Fire, the first two of the Spelljammer Academy adventures. And then my wife played in the second two, Realm Space Sortie and Behold Hakacha. And really, really fun adventures. These are fully published adventures. They go through a lot of the same rigor that other adventures that Wizards of the Coast puts out. And you can get them all for free. They're all, they're all available right now. You can go get them for free. I will have a link in the show notes below where you can add them to your D&D Beyond account. Obviously, this is Wizards of the Coast's drive to kind of get people using D&D Beyond for a lot of D&D stuff, but honestly, offering four free adventures that take you from first to fifth level, that's pretty great. That's a lot of good stuff. So I, I, I like them. I like the adventures a lot. I really enjoyed the two that I played in. Paul Gabbett is a fantastic, fantastic DM. I would play with him anytime. And the, the story behind it is really cool. So I'm excited. What's neat about this is it feeds directly into the adventures that are inside the Spelljammer box set, which I think starts, I think it goes like fifth to eighth level, which means between these four intro adventures and the stuff that you get in in the Spelljammer box set you get a full first to eighth level mini campaign which is as big as wild beyond the witchlight so it's quite a quite a lot of stuff it's 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 pretty cool i like it and i really enjoyed Spelljammer. i'm i never really thought of myself as like oh i'm super excited for Spelljammer, and i know it's not for other you know not, not for everybody people don't really like that idea but i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed the game i really liked the kind of the wild the wild nature of it it is very like guardians of the galaxy doctor who kind of stuff and i I enjoyed that. I thought that was a definitely a fresh take. I mean, it's not even that fresh. It's been around for 40, 30 years or something like that. But it's definitely a, a, a cool, neat take on a, another way to play D&D. And I've really, I really enjoyed that. Apparently, right now on Amazon.com, the Spelljammer box set is also available for 40% off. So if you want to see if there's a special deal, you can check out a link in the show notes below and see if it's still on sale. But 40% off and the thing's not even out yet. It's a pretty good deal for this box set. The box set, I think it's $70 and you can get it for like 38 bucks. So pretty, pretty good deal from Amazon. The link, you'll, you'll find the link to that in the show notes below, but I'm excited for Spelljammer. I don't know when I'm going to run it. I don't, I'm sure I probably will. I'm actually thinking that because there's enough of this stuff out and because the box set will probably be out by the time my Numenera game finishes, I'm probably going to offer up. Do we want to play Scarlet Citadel? 
by Cobalt Press, or do we want to try Spelljammer? I'm probably going to offer that up to the group and let them pick. If I read it and if I like what I read, I want to I want to give it a good look and, and see and see what it's like, but we'll check that out. I had done a deep dive into Stormwreck Isle. This is the D&D starter set that just came out. It's currently only available at Target in the United States. It'll be available everywhere in October. And one of the things I noticed is that they, didn't, they, they hadn't put up PDF character sheets for it yet. So that meant if I used the character sheets that were in the box, I was done. Like I couldn't, I couldn't get another set of character sheets. Well, now they have put the starter set character sheets online. You can get them right here. The Dragon of Stormwreck Isle character sheets. It's a nice PDF download of all of the character sheets. It even has the little publisher marks on it, which is pretty funny. They really grabbed it and put it right up. And a neat thing that you can do here is you can take a look at these and get a little bit of idea of what the starter set is like. You could almost certainly use these in your own game if you wanted to have some quick character sheets. It's got cool, cool art. They go from first to third level. So you can go up to third level on, on with these character sheets. I like them. I thought they were neat. I like that they have pictures of all the characters in there. The only problem with that is sometimes you'd want to switch the gender of the character and you can't really switch the gender of the character if they have artwork like that. You can find a link to all of these character sheets in the show notes below. The main benefit is if you have Stormwreck Isle and you use the character sheets that are in the box and you want new ones, you can print out new ones. But also we could pretty much use these for any RPG. I, I think it definitely has hooks in here about Stormwreck Isle. It talks about your personal goal and the personal goal are tied to the adventures that are in Stormwreck Isle. So those wouldn't really be that useful. But otherwise, they are they are good pre-gen sheets that we could use. So I'm very happy that Wizards of the Coast made those available. And they made them available very quickly. It's only been a week since the starter set came out, and now they're online. So thanks to Wizards of the Coast for, for, making those, for, for making those available. So I haven't done a Kickstarter spotlight in a while, and I wanted to do one for the face folio. For, this is for Zine Quest 4. I'm not really familiar with how the, all the Zine Quest things work. I think it's different groups of people that get together that make small focused RPG products that are really like a zine, like a staple bound 32 page small booklet kind of thing. And they have low goals. They, they, they really kind of small products that they put out that they put out very quickly. And one that I really, one that caught my eye was Facefolio. I heard about this because M Blake, who is putting this together is the same person who put together Hex Flowers, a goblin from the site Goblin Henchman. I had talked about from the Goblin's Henchman website. I had talked about Hex Flowers before the same person who put together Hex flowers put together this face folio and i really i really dug it this is a review copy that i received from 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 Embeck, from the, the author of goblin's henchman to show off what it has and it's got a bunch of different face cards for let's see demon blood dragon blood dwarves elves gnomes half orcs halflings humans noble folks so pretty much all of the kinds of characters that you would see in the standard DD game which is very useful but i really dig is kind of 1d10 name generator so you can sort of roll 3d10 and come up with interesting names it means that you can come up with a huge variety what is it a thousand i think it's a thousand different names that you can pull off of this one this one list different combinations of, of effects something like that one thing i like is that I, I love the consistent art there's consistent art all throughout different people different things you can use these for villains you can use them for npcs you can use them for characters they're all very cool and it's not a ton of them it's 34 pages so it's it's really handy five dollars for a pdf and a zip that contains all 100 images perfect for online play that's exactly what i want i wanted the ability to grab an image and toss it to my players in discord or something like that so they can tie a face with a name i can drop them right in my notion notebook so i can i can tie them directly in npcs there works works really well so we'll just continue to skim i i think the art is fantastic i love the black and white is fine with me i think it looks really really cool i really dig it good representation just excellent stuff and and very useful and one of the things that i talk about a lot of time is like having a thousand pictures is not as useful as having a hundred and the reason why is I can go through 100 more quickly. I can, I can zip through and find the ones that I want when I need them rather than having to sort through tons and tons of stuff. 
So I really find having a nice set like this to be very handy. I love the little name generator. I think that's that's a really, that's kind of a neat feature too. I really dig it. $5, really good, really good price for a, for a PDF and an easy, an, an, an easy back and easy support thing. And I can tell you it's already done. The, the, the neat thing is you're, you're seeing it. This is the 34 page guide. This is what you pick up. So really good. And even though I got a preview copy, I'm still backing it because I want those images too. And I want to support it. Really neat Kickstarter. I love kind of small things that really focus on a good approach like this. I really dig it. So check that out. You can find it in the show notes below. There is a link in the show notes below. Go take a look at it, back it and offer some support and get some really cool NPC portraits for your role-playing games. That is the Face Folio for Zine Quest 4 Kickstarter. You can find a link to it in the show notes below. Last week in a few different places, I think I saw it on Twitter and I saw it on Reddit. So this has definitely been getting out there. They've definitely been pushing this concept. I saw a blog article about combat building. It definitely has a little bit of clickbaity Click, clickbaity title. D&D combat building is fundamentally broken. Here's how to fix it. I get it. This is this is the problem in the algorithmic world where where we, we deal with sensationalist headlines. So I I hold that back. And the effort that has gone into this is it, it belays the 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 clickbaity headline. This is an article that talks a lot about why fifth edition encounter building is so hard to do. And it, it has a really good walkthrough. Clearly, whoever wrote this has a deep understanding of how mathematics works, has a deep love of D&D, and has really applied those things together to, to really push it. And what it's showing is mathematically that you have this logarithm, what, what, what they refer to in the article as a, a log, logarithmic gain in power the more monsters are in an encounter. It is not linear. If you were to try to mathematically equate a new adding a new monster, it's not just it doesn't just go up linearly. It goes up logarithmically. That it actually gets significantly more difficult because the number of amount of damages you're going to take and the number of rounds of survival are going to be significantly longer. And he talks about how 5th edition sees it. And 5th edition adds these things where there's a multiplier based on the number of monsters. That you take their experience points, you apply a, a multiplier of the monsters depending on how many monsters there are. So the 5th edition guidelines don't work in two ways. One is they're really complicated because you have two dials. You have the number, the amount of experience points of monsters in one dial. And then you have the multiplier, which depends on how many monsters. And then your budget changes depending on which dial you're turning, which means you're constantly referencing back and forth between the two dials. It's a mess. It's something you can put into a system that D&D Encounter Builder on D&D Beyond has this math behind it. Kobold, Kobold Fight Club has this math behind it. So a lot of people went to online tools. You can build a spreadsheet that does it really easily. So a lot of people went to online tools to do it. But really that experience points multiplier system doesn't really work well. Xanathar's Guide has a much better approach for understanding how how dangerous an encounter is. So, you know, Dragna's Den, this article on Dragna's Den, rightfully hits that problem and why that why that doesn't work and how do you account for action economy but here's a good physical representation of how it increases logarithmically like here it's non-linear you know we can say logarithmically it's not exactly logarithmically don't don't get bent out of shape about the terms but it's non-linear we can definitely say that and that's because when you add one monster it doesn't just go up in one direction it goes up in both directions it's a it's a quadratic you know a quadratic increase your your battle is going to take overall longer and the amount of damage and everything is going to go another way the same thing is true with the player side when you add another character to your group that likewise expands in both directions the amount of damage they do it goes in one direction and the amount 
of how long things will go goes in the other direction. This is a good look. It's a good way of understanding the problem. The, the article here does a really good thing of understanding the problem and explaining how that how that that quadratic that that nonlinear growth occurs and then goes in and says like again here's the whole thing with encounter difficulties and experience points and everything like that again this is the other half of the two dials and we know that that doesn't work and then he's like to make metals worse you know that he says that the experience points that monsters have if you look at how many experience points a monster is worth in the dungeon master's guide that that actually isn't directly correlated with the monster power either that monster power can fluctuate and that cr and everything else the amount of hit points they have the amount of damage they do doesn't equate perfectly it's also non-linear the amount of experience points isn't non-linear so that means you can't just kind of wing it you can't just look at it so then we get into the the solution and the solution is unfortunately come up with a new metric so beyond challenge rating come up with another new metric which is this idea of power which is kind of like challenge rating but it's diff it's built differently and in this case you know and, and this is some fun math here we were i was talking with some friends like the minute you get into square rooting now we know we're into some serious serious dm deep diving that like you know shield then has 40 hit points plus one damage per round equals six power because it's one times that divide you know is roughly six power so you, you can come up with this sort of new power system and he he's showing how the math works in all this an encounter with boblin has three encounter power the encounter difficulty is three squared divided by 12 squared equals 0 0.06 i love it i love the the i love the, the math it's that gif with all of the equations coming out of someone's head and but so so he basically came up with a different multiplier when you can look at what the the different potential difficulty levels are, mild, bruising, bloody, brutal, and oppressive, you have these m different multipliers that you can apply. And I, I think, I, I, you know, I'm skimming through the article, so I forget exactly how you apply these different multipliers. I don't know if it's a new way of applying it towards the experience. I think it might be a new way of applying it to the experience points of a monster. The problem is with that, you're back to the two dial system again. And then, so he does some tests and this is good. And there's, there's actually some interesting, there's an interesting factor here. And he talks about like, you have two giant crocodiles, CR5 against four fifth level PCs. According to the fifth edition, each crocodile is worth 1,800 experience point, total value 64, because it's two creatures, 1.5 times, 54, blah, blah, blah. This is how you would do it in the Dungeon Master's Guide, which is terrible. According to our new system, what I'm going to call Challenge Rating 2.0, each crocodile has 40 power, producing a total encounter power of 80, which means he had to go back and look at the damage amount that a crocodile does and the amount of hit pants it does, and then come up with a new metric, which you, do we really want to go back to every monster we're looking at and come up with a new power? Granted, you only have to do it when you're preparing that monster, but still. Each PC has 25 power, which means you have to know how many how much power your characters have. Total power count of 100, you know, you, you get this, the multiplier. So you can basically look at the total power of the monsters, the total power of the characters, and then you apply a difficulty modifier. And that tells you what how difficult you think that battle is going to be. The difference gets more pronounced if you had a single extra fifth level, then all of a sudden the, the, the counter power goes right. So then he uses this thing. And th this I really thought was cool. I had used this before, but I forgot about it. And it's called the D&D Combat Simulator. So the D&D Combat Simulator, and you can say start a new fight. And you say, we're going to have four characters and we're going to make them seventh level. We've got our four seventh level characters. It randomly generated. We have a barbarian, a rogue, an artificer, and a warlock hexblade. And then we're going to add some monsters. And we're going to add an abom uh, two abominable yetis. So I think if we won, it says the player should take this on without too much trouble. If we say two... It says the monster. So suddenly it went from the monsters to the players. The monsters should take this without too much trouble. You can hit start 25 fights. And you click that and it starts executing fights. 
And it says the party wins 40% of the time. And it actually ran, this is what they refer to as a Monte Carlo simulation. It's sort of random, a random, you feed it the information and then you run random versions and it runs 25 battles and tells you how did it actually play out. And you're like, okay, well, how did it do it? It just in the back, it was just putting math back and forth. The interesting thing is how it actually did it. And how it actually did it is it put a bunch of monsters on a grid with some, these are the two yetis these are the characters it set them out in a kind of an open grid no no environment and you can see each round what they did what happened right and when did they die which it, it has the it has their areas of effect it shows like when the area of effect hit there's a yeti oh there's a dead character and the party won i think the party won this one the players won the party the, the players killed it so it actually runs a actual simulated battle on a grid with areas of effect lining up and with other movements and it's kind of determining which which one of the ones are right it's really pretty interesting this is all available on dndcombat.com i like this a lot i think this is really a fun way to do it it's also totally inaccurate <laughs> it's really cool and it's great and it's probably as good as you're going to get with an automated system maybe i mean it might be i don't i don't really i didn't look deep into like how does it choose what various options but it's still not players and dms it's still not characters built the way players would build characters there's so many variables that change what an encounter is like that no system a, a, a monte carlo combat simulation system or the mathematics that we see up in here it just doesn't capture what really happens and that's kind of my biggest issue with this look which is great i i, I think anytime anybody spends this kind of energy looking into encounter building for 5e it's probably worthwhile it's good to have and certainly put you know like from a scientific perspective putting it out there so we can understand it i think it all it teaches us all a little bit more about how 5e combat works and it helps dms understand how 5e combat works i don't think this is offering a tool that is really practical because so many variants can happen so much variation DD is fundamentally a very swingy system you roll a 20-sided die and it's a flat distribution curve across 1 to 20. it's a very swingy system and that swinginess propagates through all of the rest of it and it gets worse the higher level the characters get and the higher cr the monsters get it gets worse in many different directions it doesn't narrow back down it gets wider in scope it becomes more random the further out you go because much harder to predict which means you can't have a system that's going to tell you whether a battle is going to be easy medium hard or deadly you don't really know you you probably you can you can judge roughly you could gauge it roughly here in gm binder is a description of this whole thing that you can download that's doesn't have all of the math behind it it, but gives you the system that you can need to use it give it a shot take a look at it I, I look at it and what i find is a system that is trying to apply too much mathematics to a system that is un relatively unpredictable and that's why i use the lazy encounter benchmark myself blaros says does the difference between medium and hard matter i think to me the only line that really matters is the threshold of deadly have I gone to the point where they're going to get wiped out or is it going to be hard? And if I know what that line is, if I know what that one line is, I know that stuff on one side of that line is going to be easier. And I know that stuff on the other side of that line is going to be very difficult. I know, I know what those, and I don't need segments because the segments aren't going to work. I, I have this, I have this discussion with, with a friend of mine 
who's was very into the stuff and really he he wants it badly he wants to know easy medium hard deadly and he's free to want whatever he wants but he's not going to get it with fifth edition dnd because fifth edition dnd doesn't play that way the the, the 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 monsters don't play that way one of the interesting things that this this talks about is that there are certain monsters who just don't work in this model shadows don't work banshees don't work you don't know how they're going to play out there are certain ones where it just doesn't play well it turns out there's a lot of those really there's a lot of monsters that are underpowered for their CR, and there's a lot of monsters that are overpowered for their CR. And that's just looking at their output power based on CR. That's not looking at any other factor that comes in here. And the minute you add things like which characters you have and what abilities they have and what magic items they have and how good the players are at running them and any environmental difference and any role-playing story-based thing that means they don't want to attack in an optimal way or that they wait around. So many variables are going to have such a huge effect on this. You cannot apply a mathematical equation to them and come up with an accurate answer you can you can try you can get close you can have a general understanding and that's why i think the simplest equation that you can keep in your head to help you generally understand how difficult something may be is going to serve you better than one that's very rigid because the rigid one is just going to break i was reading i'm going to get i'm going to re- really nerdy here for a minute but i was reading an article as one does i was reading an article arguing about what is it frequentist versus bayesian thinking and why they should no longer teach frequentist statistics in college courses anymore that frequentist statistics basically give a false presumption about predictability. They give you a thought about, oh, because we've run this so many times, we know with this certainty, it's almost certainly going to happen. And that's frequentist. Bayesian is like, we we know what has happened in the past. We know we have new evidence and that means something in the future. But generally what it means for us in the future is, we also know what we don't know. We also know that we don't have, that there's a variance out there that we're not accounting for. I'm I'm... Boy, I'm muddying the water on this. I'm not a mathematics guy, but I love talking about Bayesian Bayesian versus frequentist statistics. And it, the same is true with this. This is sort of a frequentist approach at looking at the problem, which is if we just dissect this enough, if we apply enough mathematical rigor to this, we're going to have at the end more understanding about how encounters are going to play out. And I think the answer is no, you're not. In fact, you're going to come up with something that makes it look like it's going to be balanced a certain way and it's not going to be, and you're going to be even a worse state. So having a system where it's already loose and you know it's loose is better than having one that gives a false sense of rigidity. So what is my solution to this? I've I've talked about my solution numerous times. It is in the Lazy DMs Companion. I have spent eight years thinking about encounter building for fifth edition. I've spent a long time trying to think about this problem. I knew that the Dungeon Master's Guide's solution didn't work really well. Lots of people like online tools and those are fine. And if you have access to the online tools, that's fine too. I really like what Xanathar's did. And again, I think that any look that we take at this probably gives us some value. I think the really good value from this article is that it shows better than I've seen anywhere else, the nonlinear increase in power given adding more characters or adding more monsters to a fight. I think it really captures that. I think trying to get an, and it, and it, it does a good job explaining the problem. I think this is a fantastic look at at the problem. I have come to a different solution, and mine is recognizing the uncertainty of D&D combat. Recognizing that it's uncertain. So therefore, I don't have easy, medium, hard. I don't really know. I don't think any of us can really know. So the best thing I have is a, a, a very simple equation that you can memorize that helps you look and judge and gauge an encounter to see, is it potentially deadly? That's the only question we're answering. Is this encounter potentially deadly? 
So my step for encounter building has two steps. Step number one is what monsters make sense for the current story and the current situation. What type of monster and what number of monsters make sense given what's been going on in the story? Does it make sense that there's two ogres? Does it make sense that there's 25 ogres? Does it make sense that there's two hobgoblins? Does it make sense that there's 200 hobgoblins? Whatever the story dictates is how many is where you should start. That That's where you start. Step two, is this encounter potentially deadly? And we use a relatively simple mathematical equation. It seems complicated, but once you have it memorized, it's really easy to do. And our benchmark is an encounter may be deadly if the sum total of monster challenge ratings is greater than one quarter of the sum total of character levels or one half of character levels if they're fifth level or above. Let's take an example. Let's have some, some ogres versus third level characters. We have four third level characters and we have two ogres. Ogres have a challenge rating of two. So if we have two ogres, that's four. We know we have four third level characters. So we add all of their levels together, that's 12, and we divide that by four, we get back to three because there's four characters. So now we know two ogres versus four third level characters edged into deadly. That's, that's a potentially deadly fight. It doesn't mean it will be deadly. We're not saying, oh, it's gonna kill you. Absolutely. We're saying it's potentially deadly. We know that if we say, okay, well, I don't want to run a potentially deadly fight here. I don't want to necessarily wipe the characters out. So maybe I'll drop it down to one ogre and two goblins. And I know that goblins, for example, so a goblin is only challenge rating one quarter. So if I add two goblins, it's one half. So now it's one and one half CR, which is under three. So now I know it's probably not going to be deadly. One ogre and two goblins is probably not going to be deadly. It doesn't necessarily mean the character is going to have a super easy time with it, but it's probably not deadly. This is a loose equation at best. Does it mean it will be deadly? And by deadly, do we mean like a TPK or that one of the characters is likely to die? Probably not. We don't know exactly what it's going to be. The nice thing about this equation is that it scales with character level, number of characters, monster CR, and number of monsters. It allows you to use monsters of different CRs in one battle and still figure out the math very, very quickly. Add their challenge rating up and compare it to the character's level. It's one quarter character's level is where the threshold is at fourth, at fourth level, one half at fifth level. It also accounts for the dramatic power increase that characters get at certain levels. Fifth level characters become much more able to deal with the logarithmic increase in monsters, which is why it goes from one fourth to one half. If you have four seventh level characters, the deadly threshold is 14 challenge ratings of monsters. That's a lot of ogres. Seven ogres that they could take on at seventh level, which is probably about right. Seven ogres is tough, but seventh level characters are pretty tough too. You could even increase it again at 11th level to three quarters of character level and 17th level and above, you could do equal to. And I bet you that that threshold still works. So to reiterate the equation, an encounter might be deadly if the total of monster challenge ratings is greater than one fourth of the total of character levels if they're fourth level or below, or half of character levels if they're fifth level or above. It's just a loose gauge, but it's a good way to say, like, of these monsters that make sense given the situation, is this encounter going to be pretty hard. And again, the closer it gets to that, the harder it's going to be. If it goes to the right, it's going to be really hard and potentially deadly. Now, there may be circumstances where you double that. There may be circumstances where it's double, but the situation means that it's actually not as hard as it seems. I ran a battle the other day where I had a tremendous amount of monsters on the table. That was like more than twice the deadly threshold. But I knew that some of those monsters were fighting themselves and some of them were getting in a way of each other. So it ended up not being a big deal. So it worked out. It doesn't work particularly well for solo monsters. It doesn't 
doesn't work well for a single monster. There's another equation. Paul Hughes came up with this and it's part of the level up advanced 5e system. And it works really well, which is a single monster may be deadly against a group of characters if that monster's challenge rating is 50% greater than the average level of the characters. So if you have four seventh level characters, if you have a monster that has what's 150% of seven is about 11. If you have a monster that's about challenge rating 12 or above, that might be deadly for the seventh level characters. Not quite as easy to figure out basically a monster, a single monster versus the characters. If it's challenge rating is greater than 50% of the character's average level, that could make it potentially deadly. You can kind of keep that in your head, but generally speaking, the character is going to have a much easier time facing a single monster than they will a group of monsters, which is what that article really shows. It shows how the battle gets much harder when you add more monsters into a fight. So in short, I think a simpler equation is easier than a complex equation. I really like the effort that went into this. I think it explains a lot of things really well. I don't think it offers what they refer to as the, 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 the pure fix, because I think the pure fix is a lot of math that is assuming predictability where there isn't any. And instead, I think a loose system that we're able to keep in our heads, that's easy to memorize, that recognizes that this is a loose system, that doesn't have fixed gauges that aren't going to work anyway, is a better approach. And that approach for me is an encounter may be deadly if the sum total of monster challenge ratings is greater than one quarter of the sum total of character levels or one half if those characters are fifth level or above. Take a look in the show notes below. I'm going to link to all this stuff in the show notes below. I'll be very curious in the new version of when we see the new iteration of D&D, I'll be very curious how they handle this problem. Hopefully they handle it in a, in a way that works better. It's, it's not hard to pick one that's better than the DMG. I'm almost certain they'll pick one that's better than the current DMG. But what will they do? Let's do some patron questions. Every month I put up a thread on Patreon, on the Sly Flourish Patreon, asking people for their questions. I answer all of those questions every Friday morning on Patreon. And then some of those questions I answer here on the show. And then some of them even turn into articles or other videos. Tim J says, what is your favorite adventure to introduce new players to TTRPGs? It had been Dragon of Ice Spire Peak. And it might still be Dragon of Icefire Peak. I think Dragon of Icefire Peak, this is the adventure that's inside the D&D Essentials Kit, is a wonderful starting adventure. It's fun to run. It's got a lot going on. It, the quest board model that it's got where you go to the board and you pick up a quest, really good, flexible one that offers good choices to the players. It lets them decide about where they want to go, but it's also very straightforward D&D. That is probably the adventure I would use to introduce new people to D&D. That said, having just read Dragons of Stormwreck Isle, I would almost certainly do, if I had new players that were coming to me right now and say, hey, I'd like to learn D&D and I want to run adventure, I would run Dragon of Stormwreck Isle. I think it's an excellent starter adventure too. It doesn't have quite the level of decision choices that, that Dragon of Icefire Peak does. It doesn't last as long, but it's also really good. And I think it would be a good way to introduce people to D&D. So I would definitely suggest that. I think the, the big question you have is like, that makes the assumption that you know how you're running D&D. And I think the Dragon of Stormwreck Isle does a better job teaching DMs how to DM than Dragon of Icefire Peak does. So, but if you know how to run Dragon of Ice Fire Peak, I do, I've run it a bunch, then I would think that that's a good one. But I'd pick either one of those two, Dragon of Ice Fire Peak or Dragons of Stormwreck Isle, I think are two excellent places to get started to learn about TTRPGs. And I think D&D is a fine way to learn about TTRPG. Andrew A says, how do you handle choosing your, the next campaign with your group? Good question. This is one where it's like, I want everybody to have a say, but I still get 51% of the vote. I, a lot of times what I do is I bring one campaign to the group and say, how do we, how do we feel about this? I've had players who came to me and said, Hey, we'd like to try something other than D and D. And that's, that's where I got to do blades in the dark and Numenera, which is fantastic. A lot of times though, a, I'm the one running the game. I'm the one that's going to be putting in a lot of prep. So for me, it's most important that I want to run it. 
So I generally bring it forward. But so far for the two main groups that I've been running regular campaigns, the three groups really, I now have another sort of irregular group. The three groups that I talk to, they almost always say, sure, we'll run what you're playing. We'll run what you're, we'll, we'll play what you're running. They, they, I've, I don't think I've ever had somebody who's come to me and said, hey, you wanted to run that. I really don't want to play in that. I don't think I've ever had anybody say it. I also talk about it with my wife, though. My wife is in two of those three groups. And my wife, you know, so she and I will talk about it a lot. And I'll get ideas about what I want to run from that. I don't think she's ever vetoed one either. I don't think she's ever said, I definitely don't want to run that. There's certain runs where like, yeah, the theme of that isn't really fitting, especially since we just did this other thing. So generally, I bring it forward. I would not bring forward anything I didn't want to run or that I wasn't already comfortable running, one that I knew I was happy to run. So an example is my Sunday group. It's possible that Spelljammer will be out by the time we're finished with that campaign. And if that's true, and if I've read it, and if I like what I see, I will come to them and say, hey, I'm happy to run either Scarlet Citadel or Spelljammer for you guys. Which would you be interested in? And kind of see which one they which one they want. Because I'm happy running either of those. I don't know that that's true because I haven't seen the Spelljammer adventures yet. I've, but, I, but I like the intro ones. The intro adventures were a lot of fun. So I could definitely see having fun with those. And on the assumption that the ones that are in the book are as good as those, I could see having fun with that too. So in that case, I would offer up a choice and let them and let them pick. But a lot of times I sort of say, hey, we can play lots of different things. And I'm not saying we absolutely have to play this. I'm always leaving it open to them to say, I really don't want to play in that. But I usually bring one forward and say, here's what I'm thinking about it. And I, I do a pitch. I say like, here's what it's about. And here's what I think would be fun. And here's some angles we can take on it. And then they, they so far, they've always said, yeah, that sounds great. So that's kind of how I handle it. I think the important thing to remember is not only is your fun equally important to the players, your fun is probably more important than the players because you're the one that actually has to turn this into something you're going to run every week. So I think you really have to want to run it. And there've been cases where I've run adventures where I didn't, I, I, I kind of left it open and I had to run something and I didn't like what I ran, but that was usually for a one shot. So it didn't matter too much. James W says, what advice do you have for running a homebrew quest board style campaign like Dragon of Ice Spire Peak? I was just talking about this. This is a really good question. And I think there's a good way to do it. And the, the way that Ice Spire Peak breaks it out and a, way, a model that you can use for a quest board style system is the sort of two in one out system. And the way this works is probably... At level one, you want to want to offer one or two quests that are designed for first level specifically. Don't give them quests that are designed for first, second, or third level because second and third level is so different from first level. Design quests that are built for first level and probably offer either one. Just this, you could you could do the the you know in media res and they just start with a small adventure, or offer them one of two choices. Hey, which one of these first level adventures do you want to do? Then they pick one. You throw the other one out. If you, if you do two, you throw the other one out. They get from first to second level having done that first quest. And then three new quests are up on the board. Three new quests. Those are second to third level. So there's some variance in the difficulty of those. And the players pick one of those three quests and they go on that adventure. They get to third level. Then they come back and the other two are still there. And they pick one of those two and that takes them from second to from second to third level, third to fourth level, and that next one is thrown out. You, 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 they've already passed one of them over twice. Once they've passed over one of the quests twice, you throw that quest away. Some other adventuring group went and did that. And now they're fourth level. And then we put three more quests out there. And the next quest 
is that then they pick their next quest and that takes them from four, fourth to fifth level and they come back and there's two more quests and they pick that one and that takes them from fifth to sixth level you throw that one out by the time you hit like sixth level the quest board system is probably not the best approach because now they're really should be in a regional issue so you probably want a bigger campaign at that standpoint but that's how dragon of ice bar peak works and i think that that same style works really well that essentially you do the two in one out put three general except for first level put out three quests let them pick one let them do that one come back pick one of the other ones and then throw the third one out and that way they have choice they have agency over what they're picking it's still relatively linear you don't have to like constantly scale up a quest you don't have it you just bring new you get to bring new quests in that are better suited for the level of the characters at that point because they're getting progressively bigger in scope and harder and then once you hit about fifth level i would i would switch to a different system i don't think that the quest board style makes much sense when you have fifth level characters who are like regional heroes at this point chris t says i'm running my second campaign and find that I love thinking about what I want to run for my players and actually running the game. However, when I sit down to plan, even using something like the lazy DM method, that it's hard to get excited about writing out my ideas and committing those ideas to paper. My game is every other week and I find I find I procrastinate planning because I don't enjoy it. Does this mean I'm not cut out for, for DMing? How can I reframe and how can I re prepare for my game? It certainly does not. I was going to make a joke and say, yeah, you're not you're not cut out for DMing, but no, that would be a terrible joke. That certainly has nothing to do with you being able to DM. How you feel about your prep doesn't mean you are or are not a good DM. Only one thing matters when it comes to being a good DM. Are you sitting down and having fun with your players playing an RPG, running an RPG? If you're doing that, everything else is just figuring out how to do that better. So if you if you enjoy running the game for your group and if your players are having a good time, you're a good DM. It's as simple as that. If you're sitting down at the group, you're running a game, you're enjoying it, and the players are enjoying it, and they come back, you're doing great. That's all you need. Figuring out how to enjoy your prep is a different part of it. You could be one of the rare breed that can improvise an entire game, and you don't need to prep. And if you're having fun doing that, and if your players are having a good time, you're good. You don't, you don't, you don't need to prep. Some, most people do. Most people don't feel comfortable. I certainly don't. Most people probably don't feel comfortable going into a game with nothing prepared. Now, maybe you've like read the published adventure and you know where it's going to go and you're fine. And maybe you're okay stumbling around some parts and your players are probably fine with it too. And that can be fine. It's probably worth doing a little bit of something. It's probably worth doing some kind of stuff. Now, maybe it's just reading. Maybe you just go out for a walk and think about your game and you're good and you don't need to write anything down. What I find is that the act of writing things down helps me internalize my prep. So I, I like it from that aspect. If you don't like writing anything down, you just don't like the act of sitting and writing stuff, maybe there's other approaches you can take. Maybe the idea of repetition in your mind. You go for, for walks and you think about what's my strong start going to be? Who are my characters? Walking through that list of characters, what secrets and clues can I, can I reveal? Maybe that works for you. What I find, though, is you can you can limit how much you have to write. It doesn't have to take a long time to write down your prep notes. So even if you find you don't really sit and enjoy writing them, I mean, I, it's hard for me to relate to because I love doing that. I love kind of prepping. I don't like writing reams and reams of stuff, but I love writing my 10 secrets and clues. Sometimes it's hard, but I like doing it. I like thinking about it. I like imagining that. But really finding your own way is fine and ideal that you think about the kind of prep you like to do that you do enjoy. Think about the things that if you really like running the game, what are the things that you can do as easy as possible that can help you run that game and enjoy that game? I think it'd be really valuable. But the main thing is 
you know, if you're anything you're looking at that you're not having a good time, you want to take a really hard look about why you're doing it and how you're doing it and find another way because it, it, you should enjoy, this is all for fun and you should enjoy every aspect. There are definitely times where it's like inter-party conflict or issues with a player where we have to do things that aren't fun. But generally speaking, find, finding your own path so that you can find the, ty- the type of prep that you do enjoy. I think is really is really valuable and it doesn't have to be the, the eight steps from return i i offer one solution which is the eight steps of return of the lazy dungeon master it works for me it works for a lot of dms it doesn't work for everybody it is brief it does not take nearly as much work as a lot of other prep styles go but maybe you like other things maybe you maybe you want to simplify things elsewhere there's a chapter in return about simplifying your steps where you can eliminate all the steps that aren't helping you and just focus on the steps that are and that can change from week to week so that that can help so chris i hope that answers your question i'd love to follow up with you and see if that helped send me another thing on patreon and tell me more about whether or not that that helps and things like that i'd be very interested to hear friends i want to thank you all for hanging out with me today while we talked about all things DD. i hope you enjoyed the show if you did you can help me out by subscribing to the sly flourish newsletter where you get DD articles sent directly to your inbox every week you can pick up any of my books in the store the sly flourish store down in the show notes below you can support me directly on patreon and get access to all kinds of exclusive information exclusive previews of videos exclusive previews of upcoming products the city of arches source book exclusive adventures a exclusive discord channel and also help me put on shows like this and you can also share this show with your friends send it to your friends who enjoy DD, subscribe to the channel like the video and help me out that way so thank you all very much have a great day and get out there and play some D&D.